Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to Umlink Energy Speaks Back, powered by Hark. My name is Paul Webb. I'm the founder of B2B Energy, and I'm your host. And weekly, I present to you experts from around the world. Welcome to episode 91, and we are home in the UK where I meet an energy expert who has diverse expertise in the energy sector. Our purpose, as always, is to provide a good understanding of energy management knowledge from around the world, which is available today for us to deliver savings that impact on our planet. On our journey of knowledge sharing, we would like to thank our sponsors, who are Park Systems, renowned for their energy software, Clean Energy Revolution, for their knowledge and networking through LinkedIn, B2B Energy, for the 11-week energy program and managing organization's third largest expense, Alexis Energy for their power management, led by Vision, who are an LED and controls company, Simewatts for the electronics and EV transition, Carbon Black Global for their waste to energy initiatives, Cinefix for their insulating coatings, SmartCool for their AC initiatives, and Umlink, who are taking the confusion out of energy management. And lastly, our certificate partners, Esther Energy. Today's guest is a true energy expert who's focusing on energy management for various different types of organizations. So without any further ado, I give you John Swallow. Good afternoon, John, and how are you today? Uh, I'm very well. What about yourself? I'm very good. Nice and warm in the the UK today, wasn't it? Yeah, um, we're up here in God's country, just outside uh, Leeds in Yorkshire, and it's still fairly glorious up here. So beautiful to day. Put the sunshade down on the window. Just to I can sure see. No... I always notice it when I'm interviewing someone. I can see the sun over in the background, but that, the sun's going right across. You. The sun's shining you on you today, as it is on the righteous. <laughs> How did I know you were going to say that? So, John, we, <laughs> you are one of the rare guests of mine where I've actually met you in person. Um, and I had the privilege of, um, we, we met at the ENCO conference and mm-hmm. you've done a presentation, which was um, amazing of what you've done with that organization. We're going to touch on that shortly. So okay. for the benefit of our audience today, can you give us your background and, and possibly touch on your origin story? Yeah, okay. So um, I'm an electrical engineer by profession. Um, I started in the 80s, went through college. um, But I was very quick to learn, as were my colleagues, that effectively hard work, pulling cables in and doing arduous tasks uh, wasn't my forte. So I'd always get uh, the very small, um, intricate wiring pieces to do. Uh, I got given a computer at a very early age as well, and I messed around with that. Uh, And I got into configuring pieces and bits and pieces of of things. So my my origin is around that. I got into, through electrical engineering, um, I moved very swiftly into sort of like automation. Um, And I would have worked in places like uh, the Rover factory in um, um, Longbridge. Mm -hmm. Uh, and places like that where we used to do all sorts of different types of, of integration. And again, 
I'd be the guy making the loom cables and and then turning up on site and kind of commissioning the stuff. Um, so obviously that led into a sort of service engineer uh, orientation, and I worked primarily across a lot of Europe, going around fixing things. So I, I began to develop a, a fairly good sort of mentality towards solving problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think uh, a, a very famous scientist once said, I'm not the most intelligent pe- person. I'll just stay with the problem longer. Um, and I think that's where can I've you, been. Can you remember who that was? Uh, I should do. Um, but I it's can't, a good saying. It's a good saying. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but, it, but it, I mean, it, it, it was kind of like one of the most pragmatic things. I think yeah. the key was for me, I'd always be first on site because I wouldn't be able to sleep at night because I'd worked out what, what I needed to do the night before. I'd gone home yeah. in a bit of a tease and then come back and thought, right, I really need to fix this. Um, and, I would, and, and quite literally, that would be my, my sort of process. Um, as I learned to kind of solve things, I'd always make recordings of it so that effectively if something like that happened again, I could quite literally go back into my notes and, um, and, and sort of prepare for, for making it very easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had the 500 quid screwdriver, as it were, because uh, I could turn up and just press a button and, and everything would, would go back to normal. So um, then I, I got involved um, through some some sort of contracting uh, programs that we got involved in, in energy, uh, but more along the lines of control and automation. And I, I always thought that the best way of managing energy was to remove manual intervention and automate any kind of process. And that worked with my mentality yeah, yeah. As, a, as an engineer. So, you know, uh, programming PLCs, putting sensors in place and such like. Um, and I very quickly sort of like got involved in a lot of submetering projects. Uh, so we worked with uh, Schneider Electric as a, um, a sort of integrated partner with, with those guys. Uh, and we'd go around the country setting up metering and monitoring devices. But again, I was the one left with the computer and putting the gateways in and pointing the IP and setting FTP files up and, and all that sort of thing that, that kind of got the stuff off site. Um, so um, that would have been around about sort of late 90s. Uh, I also did a qualification in uh, land infrastructure. Um, and as I was doing that, one of the projects within that was something called E-Ready Buildings. Um, and E-Ready Buildings was pretty much the first uh, dalliance towards smart buildings, mm-hmm. uh, which involved flood wiring of Cat5 uh, cabling. And then obviously what they were suggesting at the time, then that uh, obviously uh, internet or um, structured cabling would be ubiquitous across uh, communication levels into buildings, into processes, so on and so forth. And of course, that's where we've ended up. It might work wirelessly or, or whatever else, but there's somewhere a, a piece of copper, a bit of fiber and a, a router stitching everything together. So um, I took a little bit of um, a pause uh, around about sort of 2012. So I'd worked in the industry for a good 12 years uh, doing the metering and monitoring, uh, did some fairly big projects with the likes of Warburton's Bakery were rolled out uh, probably in excess of about three or four thousand meters across their estate 
Um, I left to go and work for a startup business in uh, Milton Keynes. So they were a, um, a, a manufacturer of uh, microwave lighting solutions. Uh, mm. And I ran their international sales division, strangely. Um, so again, I, I operated across the globe. Yeah. Uh, doing that. Uh, so um, if I wasn't in Milton Keynes, I was in an airport lounge somewhere. Um, very rarely at home. Um, but then I got headhunted for a, a position within um, a construction business a company called GMI, which is a, a Leeds-based business. They're pretty strong now. I think they've got like a, a four or five hundred million sort of turnover now. Um, and I was headhunted to set up their energy division or their consultancy services. Mm-hmm. So uh, from 2013 onwards, um, I did that uh, until 2016 when I set up my own business. Um, but primarily what we'd done was um, alongside a renewables business and an M&E business, that, which was part of the energy reduction strategy. Uh, I ran the consultancy services, which was uh, pretty much primarily back then, um, looking at ROIs, doing all the calculations, uh, putting all the low-cost carbon stuff together, uh, and then potentially driving things through through standards. Um, ESOS came in as well. So, um, and that's when I got involved with the likes of BSI um, and ISO 50001, 14001, so on and so forth. So, what yeah. The, um, what was the trigger for you to um, go on your own and set your own business up? What triggered that? The, the, the company was, so G- GMI Energy, as it was, um, was very much. Uh, sort of funded via um, a solar business. So we had a renewables business that was kind of like the engine of it. Mm. Um, and the feeding tariff dropped away. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so there was, a, there was a kind of a downturn in, in, in the project side of things there. Um, and I just felt that we'd, we'd, we'd misnegotiated the opportunity in the first instance because we should have seen it coming. Mm. Um, and we, what we should have been doing is potentially then driving more of our operational level towards doing something different other than just being reliant on the engine of the business being uh, a solar uh, a solar business. We did a little bit of biomass and things like that as well. Yeah. Um, so part was potentially not necessarily being completely 100% controlling my destiny, uh, but the part, the other part was obviously as well that I had a voice and I wasn't necessarily being heard as as, as well as I thought I would have been. Mm-hmm. So I, I decided to do it for myself. It's uh, funny, listening to your story, it's very similar to mine. So I'm an electrical engineer as well. Okay. I wasn't too keen on the, the hard, pulling in big cables in. Doing all that. I and I I like the problem solving side. So I used to like when I was at the nuclear power station, rather than having to be the one stripping down all the turbines and you know the the main the hard maintenance. I was the one that used to like doing all the fault finding and all the what's the problem here and how how can we get this piece of equipment working? I didn't like the new the new build side of it. Um no. and I you know, you do do a lot of new build work in, in that role. And I find myself wanting to be, and then after I was doing that, I found myself transitioning into controls. 
building yeah. controls. So my backgrounds, yeah. um, so I worked for the Met Police is in the uh, doing BMS systems. And then right. I went to Trend, Satchwell, and then you mentioned Schneider. Yeah. Um, they're all of my sort of portfolio of companies that I've worked for. And yeah, then yeah. when did you go? When did you go on your own? What year was that? Uh, 20, the back end of 2016. Right. Okay. So I've had a fair decent run at it, uh, yeah. to be honest. Um, but I mean, you know, the original concept was around, you know, realistically speaking, taking those consultancy services and then re and really trying to grow the uh, capacity of what was going on in the energy industry then. Uh, yeah. Even though we didn't, we didn't see what was kind of coming and seeing the the, the sort of um, debacle that it is now, um, mm. but strategically we were always aligned to trying to provide some form of standard methodology around how to do energy management. So we we built so I, everything that I did before as an engineer had systems at the end of it. Yeah, uh, energy yeah. management systems became kind of like. Uh, a, a good transitional uh, perspective. Exactly. Again, it, is a, it is a good process, isn't it, from, yeah. from A to B. And then yeah. you mentioned ESOS. Are you um, an ESOS lead assessor? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My, my uh, words exactly in the right <laughs> audience. <laughs> well, I mean... Very stressful, you know, isn't it? Well, it, it's not really served the purpose. I mean, you know, if, if you... Uh, I suppose this is, a, it depends how you look at it. Um, as a generation of cash for a business, an energy business, it, it's, it's everything and, and more. Um, when it comes to getting something from it yourself as an individual, uh, if you care about something, then it's, la it's lacking um, mm. any meaningful uh, reward. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and I don't like the, the the key with that is that, and the, the, this goes back to sort of like ethos to a certain extent, is I don't like doing something uh, that effectively I know is going to end up in in, in someone's bottom drawer. Yeah. Um, I want I want my reports to be read. I want my reports to be utilised. Yeah. I want my reports to be questioned. Yeah. Um, you know, and how can we make these better? And what yeah. does this? Mean? What's the next stage? Yeah, with ESOS, when it finishes, it's crazy, isn't it? And I know, um, you know when we've done the first phase, I was running around like a headless chicken, getting all this paperwork done and doing the notifications. And then the, the so I insisted that we presented these reports to the board. Yeah. Thank you very much. Great report. Oh, yeah, we need to do all this stuff. But they didn't have to do all that stuff. No. And then I thought, well, something's going to happen from this. But then... There I am, phase two, doing exactly the same report, meeting with exactly the same people, <laughs> getting the same answers, and now we're in phase three. And yeah. I haven't done it. I, we haven't presented the reports yet, but we don't really know what's happening with phase three. Then there will be some changes, and we're hoping that the the energy consciousness side of it. I'm driving that through my my ESOS now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting, again, going back to my principles as an engineer, if that people can't be bothered to do it, then let's make sure that they're redundant from making a choice. Mm. So, and, and, the, and the key was in, in, in the methodology of setting up a smart building. That's effectively, well, back in the 90s, the early 2000s, that's, that was exactly the mentality. We won't leave the lights on because they, they won't need switching off. Some, a sensor will do it, um, but it's, it, it's more than that. 
uh, you know, we found ISO 50001. Um, and we've tried to use that as a, a almost like a stick to beat people with to a certain extent, but at, uh, at the same degree, uh, potentially trying to develop the proper energy management system structure uh, to allow people to not to have to worry about um, compliance. You know, people say cost compliance, carbon in the, in the sort of same sentence. And it's like for a lot of businesses, um, particularly back uh, two or three years ago, um, compliance was just like that. It's a little bit of a nuisance. Um, and and so therefore, I just, I've just got to get it done. Um, but, you know, the, the, the true meaning of, of ESOS was, here is some things on a plate that if you do it, you're going to save a shed ton of cash. Uh, so it, that's what you should do. Mm. Um, what, what, what's been missed from it is that traction um, in terms of going back through those reports and asking the, the vital questions of the customers that, customers that you've delivered these types of reports to. What have you done? Yeah. Um, you know, um, we can talk about a skill gap as well, potentially, because I've seen a lot of other companies' uh, ESOS reports, um, you know, and, and there seems to be a lot of LED lighting in there, and then that's it, um, which is also annoying to a customer. So, you know, we've, we've met a few customers in the last, I would say, 12 months who have been mightily uh, miffed about the opportunities that have been missed within an ESOS report by an ESOS uh, auditor. Uh, but these are, um, you know, manufacturers, process yeah. places. Uh, you know, they might make foam or uh, cushions or, you know, at, at grandiose scale. They may have chemicals used in the process to, to change a state from, from one thing to another. Um, and they know what they need to do, but they have to do this compliance piece um, and then they bring in an auditor who just goes, right, well, I've just seen umpteen lights that are, are not LED. They need sorting out. And it's like, what about all the stuff on the factory? What about the smart things that we could do with that? What about tapping into the SCADA systems for how the, how the whole factory's kind of running and seeing what other clocks we can get from from those types of uh, machinery in order to, to say, you know, any performance benefit that we might do, you know, we, you, you can record that from from the intervention that you've, you've kind of written into the process. Yeah. But, th but that's where standardization comes. Uh, and that's where 50,001 for us is like the ubiquitous standard. And it's, you know, it's utopian to a certain extent. But we have found in the last, again, I'll go back probably nine, 12 months and we've got this nice cluster of, of, of companies that are coming to us and saying, right, we want to, we want to do this now. Uh, we're fed up of missing the opportunities. Uh, and, and we, you know, we, we want to, we want to navigate away from something that's, that looks like a menial task uh, and, and go for something bigger. Um, mm. And then, and then, and then the world explodes in terms of then looking at things like uh, environmental, social governance, uh, things like 17 sustainable development goals. All of a sudden, we've got we've got this lean towards sustainability, environmental conditions, so on. And and and, and maybe in in my um, 
maybe I've not been focusing correctly, but it all just seems to have kind of come together. I've just been in this yeah. energy furrow for for 20 yeah. years um, and I've thought that, you know, if I reduce kilowatt hours, I reduce carbon. If I reduce carbon and kilowatt hours, I reduce cost. Um, those are the benefits. Um, but, you know, any finance director needs to be shown the money as well. So, it's, yeah. Yeah. you know, when you, when you, it's almost like when you stop and start the watch. So tell me, um, you're talking about reducing the kilowatts and, and making savings on cost. What do you think is your, have you got a, a green driver in the back of your mind that, that sort of drives you every day regarding uh, the climate change and making the planet a better place? Do, do, have you got that behind you or is it just about the control and, and controlling things better for an organisation? No, I think it, it. I think it matters. I mean, you know, I've got I've got children. Uh, my children are, uh, are, are adults now. We're potentially at the next phase for, you know, for grandchildren, and we're we're, we're kind of looking forward to that. Um, but I I, I think um, it, 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 yeah, ethically, it, it's all there. I mean, I drive an electric car, for instance. I have done right. for for two years. Um, principle around trying to make it meaningful um some of the maps that i've seen recently around the sort of sustainability stuff just tie kind of tie up um you know so i've always made charitable donations i've always tried to support charities i've done a little bit of fundraising myself and, and, and things like that so you know um we used to talk about uh, corporate social responsibility um so but yeah i mean you know the the, the key is that if you can make savings, then you should make savings. If you can do something that's going to benefit the planet, then you should do it. Mm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm an outdoors nature type person. I spend most of my time at weekends out on a bike or swimming in a lake or something like that. So you see this, you see the kind of things that nature's given us. Mm. And, you, and you, t you kind of think to yourself, well, you know, we should be looking to protect these in what, whichever way we can. Um, there might be some misalignment in, in, in where I am with it all, but I try, I always try and do the right thing. Um, and again, I will always be brutally honest with customers when they're not trying hard enough. Mm. Um, you know, because it's, it, it, it's, it, it's the manufacturing spaces that I see that are like, you know, what I do is, it's not inconsequential by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but I do my bit. Um, if everybody else kind of like contributed in the same manner, then collectively all of a sudden we've got we've got bigger numbers in the in the board. So, exactly. uh, but when I go out to site, you know, it, it's it's a it's a different minefield, and it's like want you to improve. I know you can improve. You just got to develop the right culture, challenge yourselves, and learn from the process and then give it back. But, yeah, I think, yeah, ethically, there's, there, there's, there's something there. Like I say, I'm not, couldn't paint a green picture, um, but I could certainly say I'm, I'm, I'm doing my bit and I know why I'm doing it. Yeah. And when, so we talked about ASOS. We've, we've touched on the, the transition into ISO 50001. I want to really focus on, and you've been picking up on it there regarding the ENCO, um, the, the sort of being an ENCO um practitioner where does that fit into because 
you you put a case study together um, for a presentation, which was really interesting. And that was that was your client, wasn't it? With that you was doing a dual presentation with. Yeah, yeah. So um, client is uh, Thorn Lighting. Uh, they are um, a lighting manufacturer. Yeah, um, which is quite interesting, <laughs> really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't seem to be able to escape it, to be honest. Um, but um, so I knew those from years ago. So I'd, I'd done some work for Tridonic, who is the sister company that, that, that basically has a factory next door. They make uh, drivers right. uh, and, LED, and LED chips themselves. So they 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 do all the all the process around SMT and stuff like that. Um, but many many years ago, when we were doing our controls out on site, we'd often use a lot of Tridonic stuff. Um, again, going back to problem solving. Um, Tridonic would then ring us up and go, uh, we've got a B&Q store that's not working properly. Can you go and have a look at it? And I'd be the one who'd set yeah, off yeah. out and say, right, okay, there's your diagnostics. Off you go. So we were working for, for those guys. Uh, but yeah, th- so Thorne, so, uh, the VP of operations um, was the XMD of Tridonic. All right. So uh, and he'd held a global role as well with the with the parent company. So that's Zumtobel Group. Uh, so Zumtobel Group are uh, probably one of the biggest lighting brands in the world, uh, based out of Austria. Uh, but the Thorn factory is a brand. So Thorn is a brand of Zumtobel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a four hundred and fifty thousand foot um, square foot building up in uh, Spennymore, which is the northeast. Um, and it was commissioned in 2008. Uh, an interesting story around the move was um, the MP for Sedgefield, which is just down the road from Spennymoor, was um, Dave, uh, Tony Blair. Right. And Thorne were going to close because they were on some old, um, probably, uh, it, it looked like a, a, a military camp. Uh, all these higgledy piggledy buildings all over the place. Tridonic were in there as well. Um, and in 2005 or something like that, they said, we can't exist in here anymore. We're just going to close. Um, the, the MPs around the area got involved. Uh, they changed the uh, jurisdiction of the land uh, to be when it was vacated, uh, that they could uh, build affordable housing on it. Uh, and they helped them move up the road on another piece of land and went into a purpose-built uh, factory. Right. So Tony Blair allegedly saved Thorn Lighting, but I'm sure they wouldn't agree. But um, <laughs> no, let's not get into politics. No, no, no. We're not allowed, my podcast, we're not allowed to get into politics. No, sorry. So um, We won't cut there. that because that was quite an interesting story, though. <laughs> Well, so um, <laughs> they went up in there, up there in 2008. Uh, I was actually involved in commissioning some of the Tridonic stuff, so I knew the factory quite well. Um, and um, basically, in 2009, they won Factory of the Year award. Right. So it was cutting edge. Um, so long story short, I'm in, I'm in uh, Frankfurt, I get a phone call from the VP of Ops. Um, are you around? Uh, and just so happened, well, we were we were at Lighting Building. We were at show called Lighting Building. So Gavin must have known I was there. Uh, he rang me and had summoned me over to um, one of the halls. We had a quick chat, and he said, "When you when we get back, you need to come see me." 
So that was the start of the process. Um, they knew they had issues with energy. They knew they could do much better. Uh, and principally, um, we were going to go and help them. So I originally started the programme with GMI. Um, and obviously, when I left in 2016, um, because I had some restrictive covenants, I couldn't quite move straight into it. Uh, anyways, long story short, six weeks after leaving, GMI had realised that we'd got a, a fair amount of consultancy work on and that I would linchpin towards it. So rather than let people down, they squashed all my restrictive covenants and are allowed to crack on and, and help going out. Right. So that's when he said, how would you take it forwards? Uh, I told him what I needed and he gave me what, what I asked for. Uh, so I started working on, uh, so I used to spend a week, uh, a, a month on site. Uh, and we quite literally started from scratch, looking at everything, doing the engineering, um, doing some audits, some surveys, so on and so forth. Uh, and the remit was, uh, as long as I saved more than the consultancy time that I charged them for, then I, I, I just had my contract rolled over. So we, we did 12-month contracts. Um, in the first year, we smashed the target um, in terms of um, getting the processes up and running. But interestingly enough, one single thing made the biggest difference. Uh, and we decided uh, through the continuous improvement team to run a Kaizen. Uh, so uh, a Kaizen is a manufacturing technique where effectively you take a group of people, uh, show them a problem, and they help you solve it. Yeah. Um, in essence, um, it involves... When you, when you say Kaizen, was that um, like a, black, a Six Sigma project, was it? Yeah. Or was it Kaizen? Was yeah, it, yeah. So, well... It's part of Lean Six Sigma, but the Kaizen yeah. stands out as an activity within it. Right. So yeah. it's um, so effectively, the process went along the lines of uh, we demonstrated to a, a team of people what energy was being used in the building. Um, so we did what's called walk the wall. So we got loads of charts and information, yeah. uh, put it all together, showed them certain things and. Um, you know, interestingly pointing out things like on a Sunday, why is consumption at this level, uh, showing them all a baseline, converting it into something that would be realistic to them to understand. Uh, and then we do what's called a Gemba. And a, a Gemba is um, a, a good look uh, around the factory, um, identifying things that didn't quite look right. Mm -hmm. uh, had the opportunities for technology upgrades, say, for instance. Um, and then they brought all that back into um, the um, training room. We scrambled it all around, put uh, some information together. We ended up with around about 300 interventions, I think it was, uh, around about 150 of those, maybe slightly more, were what were considered sort of things that they could just do themselves. So low capital costs around about sort of any, anything less than sort of like £2,000 were something that they could do. And then we ended up with probably about 20 projects that were heavily investable in, which would make the biggest bang for the book, as it were. Right. Uh, and, and, that, and that's where we started with it, really. But the thing that swung the pendulum for me was, and I hadn't actually realised that this was going to happen, that the people are the most important part of that process. And 
um, I've said this before and I'll say it probably a million times. If you teach them what to look for, they'll do the job for you. Yeah. And, you know, the key is then as an auditor, as, a, as an energy manager, as someone who is checking something, then realistically that's, that's value um, tenfold. And, and, and it was like a, it was a paradigm shift in terms of what, what, what kind of traction we got from it. Um, we presented it back to the board. Uh, each of the teams basically represented their own projects. Uh, so they had some ownership over it. Um, you know, and it were, it, it were really, really special. And, and I were lucky enough for that to be like almost my, my first ISO 50,001 job. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, the, the, the key was that we've done smaller projects before, but this one was like uh, a massive yeah. effort. Um, and we put heart and soul into it as well. So the, the idea was that, you know, again, uh, making people do the right thing, um, taking that stretch mentality, uh, and then trying to get it across the wider groups. Uh, you know, Thorn employed somewhere in the region about 350 people in, in that factory. Um, and at one time, I probably would have known at least half of them. Well, that's amazing. So if I went around the factory floor, people would wave and, and, and so on. It's like a, every time I went up there. Is it like because you had that big arrow on your head saying, I'm the energy guy? That, that, but it's the same well, sort of thing, isn't it? It's the same approach. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, after the Kaizen, um, Gavin, the VP, was a huge supporter of uh, the, the movement. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I really saw the benefit of, of, of what happened. The guys in continuous improvement were fantastic. And they'd be sending me emails. We've seen this, we've seen that, we've seen the other. What do we do about this? Or can you do as a quick calculation on that? Yeah. Um, but the, the we also used to then kind of hover around in start shift meetings, end of shift meetings, um, and just trying to soak into the culture of the of the of, of the factory, of the people, of the processes. Yeah. Uh, you know, I heavily bought into the continuous improvement stuff. I thought it was fantastic. Um, what sort of savings yeah. was you seeing? Overall, so second year we managed twenty one percent across wow. the whole of fuel uses. Um, so that was when we were tracking towards. So we built the system 2016, 2017, 2018, We went for ISO fifty thousand and one. So, uh, but yeah, we were we were smashing it out of the park. Um, and 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 the thing was that that engagement. We're coming from from everywhere. Um, interestingly enough, Mark, who uh, came and co-hosted uh, the presentation with me, he's the uh, he's the quality manager, so he runs all the Lean Six Sigma stuff. Uh, but it was when we put the team together, um, there was a definite barrier. So some of the people that were in the room, you could obviously see that they were like body language in terms of. You know, I'm an office waller and you work yeah. on the factory floor yeah. type thing. Yeah. Um, and we quite literally destroyed most of those boundaries. But interestingly enough, again, some of the people who have been in the office hadn't been out on the shop floor for quite literally years. 
and 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 I just could not fathom that at all. It just did not compute in one in 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 any way, shape, or form. It was is is a it was a an incredible kind of um, you know feeling. I, I I just could not get it straight in my head as to why people weren't going out there on a regular basis. But then again, I suppose if you sat behind a desk and your job is to do uh, non commodity buying, for instance, yeah. then you've got to crack on, haven't you? Yeah. So, uh, but then that's, I, 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 I said to the, the the VP, you know, we should have regular people coming to look at what's going on in the factory, mm. uh, show people um, what you've done, the changes, the improvements, tell them why, you know, because yeah. it's their company, they work there. Yeah. So it's so, interesting. John. Um... How many people do you think was involved in total regarding, would you say is a high percentage of the staff? You know, you mentioned 350 people. How many people yeah. really sort of got, was it impacted regarding energy? Did you manage to get to every single one of them through some form of communication or would you say a high percentage? Uh, it's a high percentage. Um, I mean, some of the people who worked in subassembly, for instance, possibly weren't, um, kind of involved in in the process but the, definitely the team leaders mm. so they're around mm. about sort of 25 team leaders and again through the end of shift start of shift meetings i got to meet all of those guys um, one of the things that we sort of said to them was whatever it is whenever you want to say it come and say it yeah if i'm out on the shop floor if i'm sat down having a sandwich if i'm i'm you know in my office having a coffee knock on the door, come in and tell me what you need. Uh, but e equally also as well, the guy who runs the factory and uh, the continuous improvement team was always the one who said, don't be afraid of people who come on to the shop floor. Uh, you know, and specifically when we had the audit through BSI for 50,001, we openly promoted that they went and spoke to the auditor. Yeah. Not as any type of diffusion, no. Uh, not not in terms of potentially having a 10-minute conversation with them so that they could move something out of the way. It was like because they wanted to tell them where they'd been involved in it, what they'd understood about it, and why it were important to them. Yeah. Um, even down to so users of the – so there's two halves of the plant. So they, they bring in raw materials and they make it into um, uh, the, the fixtures themselves. They paint it. Then they do a sub-assembly. So you've got machine operators, lathe operators, that type of thing, paint operators, uh, operatives that, that, that kind of um, do all sorts of stuff with bits of metal and, and move it all around. Uh, but if they had a significant energy user, for instance, they'd have a chart on the, on the machine, uh, which was part of a standard operating procedure. So the visualization was the, the energy bars that you would get on a refrigerator, uh, and then something similar around if you leave this machine on for any more than half an hour, uh, you've just used the energy for your house uh, for the next three weeks. Yeah. So they, they knew about it as well. Uh, yeah. and, and, and the key was that they wouldn't just ask me about energy for there. They'd ask me about energy for home as well. No, that's brilliant. So, yeah, yeah. Which that's what I like about it. That. Yeah. But, um, you know, other than changing everything for LED and, putting controls in <laughs> automate your house um but it, it you know that 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 was, it was phenomenal the, the way it, it drove through and it changed my mind on 
why we would want to take um, manual intervention away from people and then yeah. expect them to get involved in a process like this, which is... So, you know. so tell me, is there a case study that has been written around this? Uh, yeah, so if you go... <laughs> If you go on the BSI website right. uh, and search ISO 50001, um, there is one uh, case study on there for uh, uh, the 2018 standard. So um, two standards, 2011, 2018. Uh, the Zumtobo uh, uh, case study is the only one that's on there. Right. Um, right. We wrote it <laughs> and so gave it back to Can we BSI. not find it on your website? It's on our website as well. That's um, what I was asking, John. Well, come and tell I us about your website. In fact, I've just had a message from the lady who does our marketing, and she's probably heard me say that because she's always telling me off for pointing it back at the BSI website. So, <laughs> take that as your wrist being smacked. So, what's it's your website? Something separate, but um, she she's always saying yes. It's on our website. So, if you go on our website and look at case studies. Click on Thornlight and it all populates. And, and what is your website for the benefit of the uh, It's uh, test-consulting.co.uk. Brilliant. Um, I urge everyone to go and look at that website. Um, I've seen the case study for real um, on the presentation, which was very enlightening. Um, and what you're saying there is, I can underline everything you're saying there, John. It's amazing what you've been saying. So, John, it's come to that, that time now where I'd like to put you on the spot. You're the guy that likes to be put on the spot. I know that. Um, so is there anything you can give back today to our audience regarding a takeaway? My takeaway is this is almost like reflective. So, you know, we talked about brutal honesty. Um, I'm, I'm a holder of a mirror for most of my customers. Um, and, and giving that reflection back to them and the principle behind it is, is where you can make the difference. So I think, you know, if you can look in the mirror and be honest with you that you're doing everything that you possibly can do to save energy, then get your car keys and go to work. Uh, if you're not, spend some time doing some research around what you could be doing. Uh, look for help if you need it. Uh, but stop, 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 don't stop short at anything other than excellence. And I think that's where you need to be. The, the industry for me, to a certain extent, sometimes can be slightly dishonest. Um, you know, and a lot of things that are happening in the industry around things like ethos, ethos and uh, the, the lack of traction towards companies trying to pick it up. Again, that's kind of like where I'm at. Let's, yeah. let's do it. But, you know, take a good look at yourselves first before you, before you start to, you know, flesh out where you need to be. And if you're not looking in itself in a mirror as an organization, find someone who looks at himself every day in that mirror to, to find that integrity. That's the key. Um, you know, we all need help from time to time, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we might be very good at certain things, but woefully bad at others. And, and, it, and, and I think, you know, um, in any business, you can't do everything. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's, it's the right thing to ask yeah. for help. Um, finding the right consultant that has that ethos and drive and determination to make sure that you don't just give us um, an answer that's, you know, suitable for the time because yeah. you want to go home. Yeah. It, it, it's important that we get it right. 
you know. So yeah. it's going back to the, 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 the principle of where I started as an engineer, staying with the problem longer, yeah. you know, not letting go. Um, I'm not like a, I'm not like some sort of crocodile with a vice-like grip, but at the same degree, I take some shaking off. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll be persistent as long as you care about what it is that we're doing. But it has yeah. to mean something to them first. Yeah. John, um, it's great catching up with you. It's um, really interesting, your story. I knew we was in parallel with what we what we do in a real world. Um, so it was great catching up with you. And I'd like to say, please, you and your family stay safe in these times. And you, sir. Thank you very much for your time. Um, we'll have to catch up for a beer. Sounds very good. I look forward to that. You got it. 